0: On this episode of "Giving the Mic to the Wrong Person," Garrett and I speak with Sean and Venu from the Portland Unemployed Workers Council. We talk about the history the history of such worker, unemployed workers councils, but why you know the reason for foreign it. And at one point, we uh, get into a sidetrack and start talking about ad busters, probably for a little bit too long. The show helps survive off of uh, donors like you. So, if you would like to kick us a little bit of a donation to keep, to help us with server costs and whatnot, you can check us out at patreon.com slash giving the mic. Um, for as little as a dollar a month, you can help us with site costs, uh, with, uh, keeping up the, uh, the voice chat accounts going and everything. So, and without further ado, on with the show. Uh-huh. Again, ladies and gentlemen, to giving the mic to the wrong person, I am your host, Jeremy, here with a collection of old, friends, and new uh, to talk to you about kind of a, a perennial important topic, unemployment and what to do about it uh, or one way you can do about it and especially something where God knows how many millions of people have been unemployed for the majority of this year. I myself spent uh, was out of work up until very lately. And so, some folks have come up with a res- response to that, and in the, the form of unemployed workers councils. So, um, we brought in a couple guests and one co-host to talk to uh, talk to you all about this topic. Uh, first, I am joined by regular co-host Garrett. Garrett, can you say hello to the viewing audience?
1: Hey, everyone! And uh, as someone who's going to be out of a job in a few months, here,
0: this will be uh, a fortuitous conversation. Excellent, and two guests from the 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 local uh, Portland kind of uh, unemployed workers council, I guess. Um, can can uh, y'all introduce yourself to the viewing audience? Take, I you guess you should go first. Yeah.
2: Oh, dang it. <laughs> oh, hey, how's it going? Somebody sup sup? I don't know why I just said that, but my name is Venu, <laughs> and <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm with the Unemployed Workers Council.
3: Okay, I'll introduce myself. Shall I? My name's Sean. Um, I am the co-chair, and now at the moment, only chair of uh, the Unemployed Workers Council in Portland. Um, and I was one of the people who started it back in late March, early April.
0: So I guess this, let's start with the topic. I think just I can, you know, we can go into give people a background of like, you know, the unemployment uh, is terrible, or I should say, unemployment mm-hmm. is even more terrible, terrible this year. But like, you know, who the hell are we? It's like everybody knows. So we'll just skip ahead to. Um, can one of you all give a, I guess, let's start with a defining, you know, defining what an unemployed workers council is, a union of the unemployed, as it were, you know, it's like, what, what, is, uh, Sean, why did you, um, Sean, why did you want to start one? And why did you want to join?
3: So we, I think the new, the new thing was I, well, I was made unemployed in March and, uh, um, just at the start of the pandemic, both my jobs, uh, I lost both my jobs and, and I would had had and, and interviews lined up for other jobs, and I and I, I lost them as well. And I'd been trying to unionise towards the. I could see the pandemic was going to cause a huge crisis and a lot of unemployment. I'd start to to try and organise my workplace um, and uh, uh, into trade oh, like, union organising. Um, I figured I, I was too late. I was made. I was laid off, and was one of the early ones to go. Probably because I was I was kicking up shit about it. Frankly. Um, <laughs> and when that happened um, my uh, mind turned to uh, realising that this was going uh, to lead a huge spike in unemployment and also knowing i knew beforehand before coronavirus there was already uh, an economic crisis of capital on the horizon it had already started actually in terms of unemployment rates it started to rise um, before coronavirus i mean a lot of people don't think and realise that cause things have been bl- <laughs> By these, you know people's memory of that, but actually, there was all the economic crisis um, back at the beginning of the year, the end of last year. Sean, uh, um, you dropped so, out. You dropped so out a second. Already, what,
0: what was that? Oh, can you sorry, can you repeat sorry. that? The last sentence again. You're you you. We lost a couple words. I'm going to switch. Oh, yeah. I'm going to switch so, my video off.
3: One, cool. Uh, 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 are you getting me now? Is that okay? It may be yes. my internet. We were talking about crap internet. And, yeah, my internet connection is not so great. So yeah, the the economic crisis had kind of already started actually. Um, I think late last year, um, there, there was already uh, murmurings in the global economy about uh, a crisis unfolding already. And I think um, coronavirus just accelerated something that was already happening in the economy. And I've I, seen that happening. And, you know, when I was made unemployed, I thought back to the past about my experiences in Britain in 2008. Uh, I wasn't unemployed, but there was attempts to do Unemployed organising back then, but also back to the 20s and 30s when successfully um, uh, the Communist Party and stuff um, and other organisations had organised unemployed and realising that it was necessary, realising that, like, I, you know, like, they are going to have people, huge amounts of people unemployed, angry, not being able to, to um, access services or access unemployment or access any money, um, and realising that that isn't a good situation for people, but also that it leads to you know uh, a weakening of workers. Right? If you have a huge pool of unemployed people who are desperate, without any structural you know thing to push back against, you you end up with you know a a pool of people that can scab, or you end up with you know it's an easy it can also be easy pickings in their desperation for the far right and things like that. So. Uh, I think for me, that was the main reason. It was to organize with other unemployed people, but it was those political reasons as well
1: for it. Yeah, it seems like there's there's a way in which, you know, to, having a, a, too many unemployed people starts to create the sort of disunity among the working class that, that you want to uh, avoid, you want to do the opposite of.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I think there's also, I mean, I think it's, it's built into that, that idea of unemployment. is built into the... The economic system of capitalism, you know, it's a requirement um, to have a pool of unemployed, uh, unemployed labor that competes with other, other uh, employed labor. Um, that's built into in terms of the system of capital. They, they they require, I mean, not not originally actually, but but as as capital developed, it was required that a pool of labor, excess labor, was required in order to suppress the um, the amount of surplus value that. that that the labor could get back from the system. Um, and you see that, you're right, but the crisis generates more unemployment. It, I mean, bear in mind, this is not like the crisis in capital, in my opinion, are not, are not things that capitalism wants. They're actually just built into the system. You know, they're, right. they're actually just like intrinsically part of it. It's not like the capitalists are like, great, we'll have an economic crisis and that will create huge amounts of unemployment. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, they actually don't know. One of the things is they don't actually understand how it works, right? So these these crises are created by the economic system that we perpetuate, we perpetuate over and over again, you know. Um, Yeah, I'm a socialist, you know, I want to get rid of that economic system. And part of that is my thinking as well. But how do you fight in the situation you're in as well was probably for me part of it. And I was like, well, I'm unemployed. I have to fight with unemployed people, right? Right. That's how we have to organize.
1: Yeah, that's an awesome idea.
0: Sensible. Right. No, that makes perfect sense. Uh, also, uh, attentive attentive viewers will remember, will recognize Sean's voice from our little two parter that we did on kind of like uh, Scots and, and uh, UK politics uh, from God, what was that last fall, like fall of twenty nineteen? Wow. I think then that was you yeah. know very quickly like hilariously uh, out of date and right. uh, and uh, obsolete.
3: <laughs> What's up? I feel like I got things right. That's true. <laughs> I I don't know I might I would have to go and re-listen to it I feel like my predictions it's always dangerous but I feel like some of them are right except I didn't get COVID obviously but I feel like some of my predictions have played out
0: Gotcha Yeah because all the uh, I guess all of the um, all of the uh, all of the UK kind of political um, uh, crumbling happened before the pandemic and all the US uh, polit- political stuff was either was sort I guess accelerated after.
3: I think did I call? I think I called in that that I said that had, if if Corbyn doesn't honour um, the Brexit referendum, Boris Johnson's going to win. I think I called that on 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 the show.
1: Very yeah, good. I don't recollect, unfortunately. Now I have to go back. And I look. just
3: want to be. I just want to be vindicated, really.
0: <laughs> yeah, don't we all? <laughs> and um, Vanu, how did you uh, how did you hear about uh, this thing, and how did you wind, why uh, why did you wind up getting um, get wanting to get involved?
2: oh uh, you know rich and bored you know um <laughs> mostly that's it you know i was uh getting tired of my job uh, as a mid-level executive at the exploitation factory and uh it's <laughs> like you know what i'm sick of time sharing this uh mansion that you know was basically the uh ducktales mansion and uh so no i, I uh everything that sean said i, I couldn't put it any <laughs> better than he can um I lost my job in March as well and um, I was a member of DSA and I wanted to get more involved and it was kind of a toss-up between housing justice and the Unemployed Workers Council and uh, ultimately I I kind of understood uh, after researching the unemployed workers or the unemployed councils of the Depression era um, that you know um, a lot of the work um, around that time had to do with housing in those councils so I I saw the opportunity that like you know I'm going to be able to do both in this one council um uh and uh yeah and i've been really really like i'm not an organizer i'm you know uh i would say i'm not ashamed to admit but i was definitely uh i had no ideology and i was definitely like you know your your typical kind of liberal centrist i would say a couple years back and uh and uh, over the last couple of years, I've I've kind of uh, really under like tried to read as much Marx as possible and understand you know class struggle as much as possible. Uh, and uh, this opportunity to work in the Unemployed Workers Council has uh g- you know given me a lot of insight, uh, opportunity to reflect on my life and um, our current economic conditions, all the forces that govern um, our society. Um, and uh it's really given me a lot more um i I feel like uh of a purpose you know um before i wasn't really doing anything in my life Uh, i tried to do comedy for many years and it didn't work out and i was just kind of depressed and i think uh joining this group has given me a, a renewed sense of uh of camaraderie and uh uh, a feeling of, uh, of kind of hope, even though, um, you know, uh, being realistic, uh, we have <laughs> a lot of, uh, struggle, uh, uh, ahead of us. Um, but, uh, you know, I just have hope that there are other people out there who actually give a shit, you know? Um, so it's mostly why it joined.
0: Sensible. Well, that makes, yeah, that's the, uh, yeah, that's, oh, Garrett gone.
2: yeah, it just, it seems
1: like, uh uh, if you can call it a bright spot of whatever you know, this new era we we are entering into uh, post COVID, it's it's uh, nice to know that like we can probably take a lot of the lessons from the organizing in the 30s to to see what can be done now. You know.
3: Yeah, I think. I mean, one of. I mean, obviously the. the we can't draw a straight line between these two uh, two moments, you know? Right, the, the, of course. The, there's similarities and there's obviously huge historical differences um, between those thoughts. But, yeah, you're right, we can learn. I, I think we can learn a lot of stuff from things that ha- happened in the past. I, um, I know there's a tendency to want to do everything new, right? Everything new again. But I think you're right, like, we can definitely look and say, right, what did they do great and what did they do that probably... Uh, didn't work out and then try not to do that and then you know one of the things we try and do at, I think the council is we're always talking about um, how do we actually do this better you know like actually how do we do this better and um, what I'm always thinking about it <laughs> like every day you know when I'm, when I'm thinking I'm talking to people and texting people and other like unions and stuff tomorrow I'm having a call with some lecturers' unions about unemployment and what we can do around that and and, and I'm always trying to think about like bringing that back to the, the council and saying, like, okay, so how do we, you know, what, what are we doing and how do we do it better, right? Because our aims are, I think, are pretty obvious, right? Our aims are that we want to make sure that unemployed people aren't left on the scrap heap, right? That society doesn't just discard people when they're not uh, creating, right? And that people have housing and people have access to healthcare, uh, free healthcare, you know, actually. And uh, people are not being forced back into unsafe working environments and exploited to work, and they're not going back to work in worse conditions than they left, right? Like, those things I think are pretty obvious, right? That we're doing. But, like, yeah, we we, we got to learn and continue to learn how we do that. And I, I think that's, like, you're right, though, that the 30s, and to, like, what they did in the 20s and 30s, we can totally learn from.
1: Yeah, and I was thinking about it in the terms of uh, also that you know you have to you know we you know we have to, we have a whole like like you know we have generations of younger people that that uh that are coming into an era that is very different from what they were expecting uh and it requires uh a different way of thinking i think and um and and that's a place to start is what is what i i was you know basically trying to get across uh and then, yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, go ahead.
3: People were, I think, young people were. You know, I I think. I mean, I didn't grow up in the states, but um, there is still a level of that. I mean, Britain's an old empire, right? Less so in working class Scotland, right? And town I grew up in and stuff. That there's an idea that you can do anything. I mean, I don't think that that was necessarily true in in my school, particularly. But I think uh, America impresses upon its teenage children that you know, if you just work hard enough, and you know, you can be, you could be president, you could be anything. Uh, or, or the, you you know, if you come from a middle class family or not middle class, but like, you know, a working class, but with a secure job, you will also have to be working class with a secure job. Right. And the reality is, of course, for most people, that's not true.
2: Well, yeah, and it's also I feel like it's it's a it's a weird I don't know if it's an even an intentional deceit or just one that. Uh, Comes with just you know uh, the the virtues of conservatism in this country, but um, it also it's something to do with like how can we convince people to sell their labor time as much as possible, as much as possible Mm -hmm. for as little as possible, um, so that they you know through their hard work and merit and a lot of luck do get to climb up to other management positions or positions Mm -hmm. that can give them more wealth. So it's almost like you are tricked that you know like. Sports is one of the funniest examples in this country because so it's the most popular thing, and we learn through the examples of all these star athletes. It's like they're the first one in the gym shooting free throws and they're the last one to leave, and that's what everyone <laughs> should do. But I should do that at my, you know, uh, customer service job. <laughs> 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 no. Yeah. I don't think yeah, so. so. You mean?
3: I was the first one in throwing pizzas. Six a.m. I was in there
0: throwing pizzas. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, <laughs> yeah. that is a thing of more Long and more, more. Um, is thing and more, like more, wait, why are you wasting all this pizza at six in the morning? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that is a thing of like more people are taught. You know, you're hearing it more and more, but it's like the. Um, well, I guess one of the differences between then and now is that because now like a lot more of the where you have like um <laughs> because a lot more people went to college and are and have been kind of like drilled, you know, and kind of um indoctrinated or incultured to kind of like the more of the professional mindset and etiquette and responsibility and like self-image the um I think uh, the uh, it's like, like all those articles that came out or in, over the last year talking about you know uh, the professional middle you know professional manager your class doesn't exist or the professional manager you know PMC is more of a mindset than an actual class position <laughs> and um, yeah it's kind of it's, it's kind of a thing of there's a uh, there was an article in like the New Left Review called it's something like you know the PMC doesn't exist. Or something like that and actually getting it kind of but it's it's talking about how it's it's not really like this defined class but it definitely is a it's much like how like how how boomer is now more more it's now used more as a more as a, as a descriptor of a mindset than an actual like generational cohort well it
2: makes sense too because it's like if you don't have uh the foundation of class struggle um, you know, it doesn't even have to come from a, a place of Marxism. You know, you could even be a part of the poor people's yeah, campaign first. and like have and have that kind of understanding that the people at the bottom suffer the most, right? right? So if you don't have that understanding, and all you are, you're just raised in a culture that tells you that like uh, you need to be a mid-level executive at some point if you want to get anywhere, or you have to be a doctor, or you have to be this. You know, you have to have a professional title of some sort to, in order to live a middle to upper middle class lifestyle. It does become a condition you are conditioned to aspire you know for that the rest of your life you know so yes it, it i guess it does become a mindset uh to a certain extent but it's just so funny because i don't think anyone really wants to you know join an entry-level job and then become ma- manager I think. <laughs> I think you do it out of desperation because you're not kidding anything.
0: Anyway. Uh, yeah
2: i there's- think there's an
3: interest Sorry, going. Oh no,
0: I was just gonna say because there's a, there's a book I just ordered that came out came out almost like 20 years ago that talks about this, but it's it's by uh, Jeff Schmidt. Disciplined Minds: A Critical Look at Salaried Professionals and the Soul Battering System That Shapes Their Lives. Mm. So it's,
3: it's really interesting. I think that that there, there is a direct relationship between that sort of thing and uh, what we've been talking about, and you know what we are trying to do, which is like you know if you if you've been conditioned in that environment um, for you know, your entire life, right? It's And then you're made unemployed, right? And, or, or you've just been conditioned in a way which is that, um you know, you're not, you don't expect that that out of life. You, you don't have thoughts about that. You just have thoughts that, you know, you have a job and you do your job and you might get married and you might have kids. And you might have a, you know, a decent house. You might one day be able to buy a house. That would be a great achievement, right? And uh, you do all these things right and now you're out of a job. Right, and you've got no hope of getting one. And you look around; and the only jobs that you can get are ones which are like, okay, so you, you're going to be working uh, part time with no contract. And also, by the way, uh, there's huge spikes in COVID, and you might die, right? Yeah. And you've got maybe you get two or three kids, right? and you're trying to get unemployment. And you've like a friend of mine with three kids who waited, I think, twelve weeks to get an unemployment, right? Um, you know, like, uh, and yes. I think that that's that's the kind of situation we're in. Where you're right. Like one of the issues then is like how do we? And this is the, this is our big challenge. I think the Unemployed Workers Council um, is, uh, or any anyone who's organised or unemployed people is, how do you un- organise people who have been so demotivated and so alienated and so blasted by this system? Right? Like you. I mean, I don't know if you can talk about it. I'm sure and Jeremy you can talk about it because you've had periods of long periods of unemployment. Just how uh, demoralising and draining it is to be unemployed. Within capital, right? How how absolutely like d- removed you feel, right, from from the, the the daily reality of people, and how desperate you feel that you feel that that you should be doing something, right? That right. feeling is all encompassing. It's like you know, um, it's like when, you know, when I I used to work with people who were uh, I used to teach people who were homeless, and one of the things was the, the difficulty for me was getting people to come to a class because everything is so absorbed a daily is so absorbed with finding a house finding you know get like going through this benefit system which and also going through the system just, just being desperate on the edge all the time How you don't have time for learning right so the big challenge for us is like how do we do that right how do we channel that frustration and anger into something that's, that's positive and actually can scare the ruling in class right and, and and maybe can motivate people who do have jobs to fight right and i think that's really the the thing that, that that we want to try and do and it's hard and it's difficult mm-hmm.
2: yeah i can speak to that too sean like um I, I i've never had a professional title job in my life i've always been uh, a medial wage worker for the most part um and i've worked every single fucking job under the sun and uh i've gone through so many periods of unemployment in my life uh And it is one of those demoralizing things because you look around the job market, even during a boom time, um, and all you can find are these, um, you know, uh, minimum wage positions that are either not going to give you enough hours uh, to be able to put a roof over your head, um, you know, or you can find maybe higher paying jobs where the work is so grueling that you're not going to last long. You're going to burn out very quickly. Um, And... It's, uh, you know, so you have to kind of improvise. Sometimes you you skim a little bit from this industry, you skim a little bit from that industry. You can try to, you know, pull two or three jobs together, maybe work a side hustle. And that's been so ingrained, especially in, I think, millennial culture, um, you know, uh, that it, it feels like there's no escape or no hope. And I, honestly, the times that I have felt, I mean, like for a very short period of time, uh, the best about myself uh, are the times where, i had a job i saved up a good amount of money and then i either lost my job um because i couldn't take it anymore um or maybe i just like you know didn't show up a (laughs) couple times uh Mm -hmm. through burnout mostly um i actually got fired for uh not paying for a cookie once that's a fun that's a fun story yeah um but uh Yeah, yeah. So that, that was a uh, Barnes and Noble. Uh, fuck that place. Don't ever shop there. Um, I don't care if they come after me with their books. <laughs> but uh, but
3: uh, so right, um, there's no liable laws in the United States. You can say what you like about Barnes yeah, and Noble, yeah, even, yeah, though, totally. even though I know they have person status. In the well, they told me. States, they,
2: so. Oh, they do. Well, yeah. Well, they're a corporation, right? But like, yeah. but they, they told me like the the the, the, the manager who uh, fired me it was just like, uh, we're gonna have your face plastered in every Barnes and Noble like it's the Wild West. Like there's a wanted sign. And so we'll know We'll know if you show up. Well, you'll get escorted out promptly. I showed up the next day. I showed up the very next day just to oh, fuck with them. And I just did a real quick, like, through the escalators, like down and then through to the other side of where the mall was. And of course, no one no one did anything. I was like, oh, I'm gonna look through this aisle real quick. I even said hi to my friends in the cafe for a second, which was funny. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, like uh, the, the times where I was like, you know, I actually feel good about myself were the times where I was unemployed and free to kind of explore other things, that like other mm-hmm. creative things and read and actually enjoy my quality time with, uh, you know, people that I love and, and really kind of rebuild some connections that I lost. And uh, But, of course, you know, you, that can only last so long until you have to get a job again. And so I think the anxiety comes when you realize, oh, shit, I'm about to run out of money. I don't have any unemployment coming in. Like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. And that's when that alienation comes back in. That's when you feel yeah. desperate. That's when you feel like you're worthless. And so, yeah,
3: there's a, there's a fascinating. Con- there's a. Do you know what you're you saying? Like, I've talked to a few people who've been getting their unemployment checks, right? And that's one of the overriding things is this feeling that wait, wait, I'm getting about. Um, some people, you know, getting five hundred dollars a week, and they're like, "This is more money than I've had in my life." And you realise that, and mm-hmm. people are like. Wait, that's not a lot. Yeah, like, this is this is a situation where people have been so underpaid in the United States and actually right across the world, I mean, you can see where the money's gone, right? Uh, the declining wa- wage rate of, of workers in the United States since the 70s has meant that people have been working two or three jobs, side hustles their entire life and not making enough money to live on or survive. Or you know have you know the classic bread and roses right? They, they've not been doing that. that. That hasn't been a reality since maybe the fifties in the United States, right? Mm-hmm. Like that hasn't been the reality for most working people. So they're now seeing unemployment. The people who are getting it, right? And here's the thing, right? You're not most people are not. Like, a lot of people are not getting their unemployment, right? Or they get cut off, or you know there's a problem with it, or they they're they're undocumented, or they don't qualify because they moved, or or they had, you know, they were self employed because, you know, there's no jobs even before this. So people, a lot of self employment, right? Uh, and people are not getting it. But people are getting it. are saying exactly what Vinod said, right? They're saying, this actually, like, if, if this money lasted, I suddenly feel like I'm doing things in my life that, that I actually am interested in. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, you see how this society um, and the economic system doesn't nourish human beings at all mm-hmm. in terms of it has, has no interest in the even though the, it, it, it kind of like advertises this individualism it has real no interest in the individual as uh, a as, as a as a being it only really has interest in how much they can exploit the labor like that is it you know systematically it doesn't really care for the individual mm-hmm. it only cares for the for for buying and selling the labor and like and that's a really weird thing when I've been talking to people about it. They're like, oh, yeah, I feel suddenly I can, you know, do these these projects I haven't been putting off for six years or whatever.
2: Yeah.
0: Getting back into, like, a little bit of the history, if anybody wants to speak on this, on what an, the unemployed councils of the 20s and the 30s, again, they're, you know, operating in a, in a very different milieu with a lot of people who had not... Um, <laughs> with mass populace who hadn't been quite uh, so indoctrinated the way ours is right now.
2: Yeah. It was all started by this radical communist named Charlie Chaplin. And he, <laughs> <laughs> <No>. uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've done, uh, some preliminary readings, um, you know, uh, some of the internet, some from, um, Francis Fox Pivens, uh, uh, poor people's movements. um, And, uh, just from, you know, some of those little readings right there, I'm sure Sean could actually speak to it maybe a little bit better. Um, but, um, for one, like there was, I think a stronger left back then that we have to recognize, um, because i mean you know uh you know when marxism you know when his first record dropped i mean it exploded everywhere and everyone was bumping that all over the world you know but in all seriousness it's like his ideas were so powerful you know and i think there was just a lot less distraction back then too yep um right that um that you know uh the the working class um you know, pre Depression era, because I mean, it, people forget that before the Depression in the boom 20s, uh, unemployment in the United States was hovering around 10% anyway. Um, so unemployment was a humongous problem um, in the United States, so much so that there was such a huge stigma that people had. Um, that they, you know, uh, refused to tell their family, their friends, they would just take to the road. They would become homeless. Um, there is even a word for it called uh, palpers. I think was what, uh, they were called if they took any aid whatsoever. Um, and the level of exploitation for anyone that took aid from a private donation was actually mm-hmm. pretty, pretty terrible back then. Um, and so that's where that's where things were at before the crisis. And then, of course, when the you know the, the market crashed and people lost so many jobs and whatnot, and there you know there was no uh, bailout for people, homelessness became a huge, rampant thing. Uh, but so many people were not—they were not. There, there was so much pride of like the virtues of hard work that you know even unemployed people would still try to sell their labor in as many ways as they possibly could, rather than complain or gripe or try to you know. Um, actually organized themselves uh, uh, in their interest to get material aid from the government. Um, And so what happened was, uh, I think, um, you know, uh, the IWW uh, got kind of dismantled um, by Hoover. (laughs) Um, And uh, um, a lot of people um, who were in there, like more radical communists, um, uh, they started forming the unemployment councils around that time. Uh, And there was also mutual aid council started by the Socialist Party around that time as well. And so there was kind of a competition between the radical contingent of the left, the communists, and the socialists, still pretty radical, but definitely a little bit more um, moderate, I guess you could say, um, on how they could uh, organize the masses of unemployment because they saw the key there. Like they could actually, uh, you know... Uh, create societal change from the bottom if they could find a way to organize the masses of unemployed people, if uh, you know, all around the country. And at first, the um, unemployment leagues, I guess, by the uh, socialists, were proved to be pretty successful um, because they were providing direct mutual aid. Whereas the communists were providing more of like a militant um, kind of organizing structure or apparatus to take to the streets and apply pressure. Um, so at first they were more successful, but over time, because there was no, like, uh, there wasn't an, uh, there was an urgency of direct action in, uh, in those channels, uh, more and more people started leaving the unemployment leagues for the councils. And what the councils did really, 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 really well is that they actually defended people who were uh, uh, being evicted. Um, they, they actually trained people all around the country on, on how to defend themselves from the landlords and from the police officers when, uh, you know, eviction time came. Um, and so uh, that proved to be pretty successful. And then, of course, you know, the unemployment councils with the uh, labor movement at that time were able to apply so much pressure uh, that, you know, they were able to get, uh, you know, uh, kind of a moderate uh, guy, FDR, this guy, you know, Franklin Roosevelt, you know, this kind of East Coast liberal moderate, de- moderate Democrat with ties to the racist southern democrats um who had a lot of power back then he he, you know he storms in the office promising change you know of course he passes some milk toast resolutions some jobs works programs nothing is really getting done it wasn't for the labor movement the unemployment councils at that time um there wouldn't be social security today uh there wouldn't be uh unemployment insurance today uh there wouldn't be uh, there's so many things passed around that era i mean of course the wpa uh god uh, so much to, to list so um really uh i think that's what at least i want uh, to see out of um this council and i hope that we we get to that point but you know we're at the early stages so uh yeah
3: yeah that was that was a really good that was a really good uh, brief brief history of it uh, i think um I, I yeah like i the i think you touched on all the, the main points of of the past and uh how these these things are set up i mean one of the, the issues there's a couple of differences obviously that we have now right one is that there is a social security system you know most states most capitalist states before like the 19 uh, 1919 or something like that in the great red period of 1919 had no provisions for the for um unemployed people or people with disabilities or the poor or the sick you know, um, I think Venu, you touched on that—that that it was seen purely as a—it was actually seen as a negative thing. You know, there's there's actually instances of people of uh, of um, you know non-profits would be charities mm-hmm. at the time, right? Um, denying people aid, monetary aid, because they had asked for monetary. Aid. There was a there was an incident of a previous a previous crisis in the 1870s, and there was huge amounts of unemployment. and uh, 10,000 unemployed people in Chicago march on the city. The city offices, the 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 mayor and the at large uh, council, and they uh, they demand money and, and they demand uh, money for rent and for food, and the city government say no no we can't give you that go to these charities. So they march to the charities and the charities say no we're not going to give it to you because you because you're asking for it because you're not working you're lazy. So mm-hmm. there was a level of like before and and you, the actual winning of those those concessions from capital and by is a huge success. Um, and down in part, not just the unemployed workers' councils of the 20s and 30s, but the, the organized labour movement. And the other thing the unemployed workers' councils of the, the 20s and 30s did hugely successfully, one, the, the, the communist-led ones, the one thing they did do very successfully was they were anti-racist in contrast to the labour movement at the time. Um, they, um, they, were, they, they had black and white workers um, and unemployed people fighting together. And that was actually, that was actually really important. The other thing that was really really important was that they they were involved in labour struggles, supporting labour struggles, and they prevented a lot of scabbing. Uh, they prevent a lot of people crossing picket lines on mass, and the ability for um, for uh, employers to or get to to recruit unemployed people. They were actually like hugely de- like instrumental in in launching you know, strike waves uh, in uh, the motor industry and in unionising the motor industry. The unemployed workers um, uh, joined huge picket lines in Detroit. Um, uh, which actually formed very much a lot of the modern uh, trade union movement in the, the motor industry uh, and they were really part, essentially part of organising these basically there was a big demonstration in Detroit uh, it ended in a big riot uh, but the Unemployed Workers were, unemployed worker Councils in Detroit were part of organising that so th- that kind of like I, I wrote a, a little thing about it uh, based on and I think um said uh, uh, Francis Fox Piven um, His um, book, um, Richard, he was a good uh, sort of extracted version um, with a guy called Richard Cloward, um that you can get, and I can I can give you the link to my little piece, which is all the sources in it that I used. And there's a bunch of other kind of interesting articles if people are interested in that history. But I think we touched on the lessons and the things that we can learn, is that we can get. You know, we can actually win things by organising together for that. The situation is different now. Obviously, like we actually have, um, the state does provide some form of uh, state support, but that is being eroded, right? Like, I think back to a time and capital to recover in this crisis is trying to go back to a time when the state doesn't provide anything other than infrastructure, and it's very literally doing that. I mean, pre pre twentieth century, uh, there's also a really good article which I was reading recently by uh, a. Socialist called michael Kidron, um which he wrote in the 2000s but it's actually really interesting and he talks about the history of the capitalist state and he says before the nineteen hundreds the state capitalist state um, didn't provide anything its role was not seen to provide people with anything um, It was absolutely not seen as that um, it was uh, its role was uh, was purely a way that the capitalists could solve the, their differences within the state that they could argue that um within the state so So up up until basically the working class movement forced them into concessions, the the capitalists used the state purely as a way for them to argue over the best way to exploit workers, to do deals, right? So Mm -hmm. that's really a way to do deals. If you look at the Democrat and Republican parties now in the US and the way that the state is being completely eroded, like the state as in the sense of the state providing for people is being completely eroded, we're going back to a time when that isn't the case. So we do have to fight again for these little things that we were... we're we're given you know ultimately for me it's not that isn't the end of the goal right but like that is something that we do have to do and that's something we can learn i think from the past and how they did it um yeah one of our problems is of course as we said we just started we're small and we don't have the organizational structure like the communist party or even the socialist parties of the 20s and 30s yeah
2: yeah
0: yeah it's a steep hill to start from (laughs) And, uh, and that was the, uh, and that was the one kicker about kind of, and especially like earlier this year that we have kept going through my mind is that you had a bunch of, um... We had a, you know, everybody was, was out of work, but as opposed to like earlier eras, you had a bunch of people out of work. It's like we couldn't even do that because of, thanks to the pandemic. The one thing mm-hmm. you can do is, you know, organizing groups, uh, together is like the, that, that arena was shut off. So that just kind of like added mm. to the, especially like early on, added to the, um, Just kind of the malaise and just kind of, you know, between that and the crappy Portland weather was just like added to the depression of uh, what it was, it kind of felt like, you know, like from, you know, May, uh, March, uh, April, May, around then when the weather picked up and then, then the uprising started and then things changed, sort of. But, well, that was a uh, good little bit on the history. Um, getting locally, um, can you talk about what the uh, what the the Portland uh, Unemployed Workers Council has been able to do so far, even in our kind of like embryonic stage?
3: Yeah, um, I think so far we've managed to. I mean, we have uh, the things that I think of that I think have been successful have been that we've managed to reach quite a lot of people. Um, we've had we've we've managed to talk to a lot of people who are unemployed. We've brought in some people who are not political or, or you know, moderately political and, and help them to understand how to organise. You know, I think that's one of the really great things. Uh, there's a few, you know, we've got a core group of activists really in the UWC and a lot of other people who come in and out. And I think those core group of people, though, have gone from people who are maybe like slightly interested in politics to being really good organisers. And I think that's a real, that's a success. Um, I think we've, we're starting to make good connections to the labour movement, I hope. Um, we did have an action which was linked up with the restaurant organising project, which is a DSA um, project organising in restaurants. And, you know, a lot of people in restaurants were unemployed, so we did a, a joint national action with them, and Vanu mm-hmm. was the person who really uh, was, was doing, a, like, meeting with them and organising a lot of that initially. And then I was involved a little bit. I think that was really good. We we also had um, you know a whistleblower from the Oregon um, uh, Employment Office come and speak at one of our rallies. I think we we joined and had a contingent at in um, and, and one of the ma- major uh, demonstrations uh, down at the uh, federal building downtown, the the Injustice Center, mm-hmm. um, uh, as part of a labor block. And I thought that was a really successful night in terms of the way that we. Uh, we, we were talking about class politics and racism and unemployment and I think that was actually really really good um, so we've done a lot of good stuff um, I think for the future I'll, I'll, I'll let Peru talk about that a little bit um, I, I want for us to work out a way to grow, to meet, to, to reach out to more people and uh, and the one thing I'm interested in is how do we maintain this as an organisation? And this is a question for anyone who wants to start one of these. If people are starting them, the other thing to do is how do we link to all the other people who are doing it across the country? That's one of the mistakes that they did in the past. The Communist Party were very sectarian in the past and they wouldn't work with people who are not in the Communist Party for the most part. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a huge mistake. What we need is is to work with people who are out fighting, uh, unemployed people who are out fighting um, for their rights and for the things that, that for the, for their humanity and their dignity, and and we have to be doing that with them. So so figuring out who's doing that, joining with them, trying to trying to um, coordinate together would be really great. But locally, I think the thing that we've got to think about is how are we reaching all these people? We're not currently reaching? And, and Jeremy, your point is totally right. The major problem we're having is 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 COVID. Like in the past, in two thousand eight, um, the crisis in Britain. One thing that you could rely on is that unemployed people go to the library or they go to the unemployment office mm-hmm. or they go like the set places that people go, right? There they go because they're unemployed and you can get people there and you can have conversations with people, you can set up a stall all day. We can't do that, right, right? Libraries mm-hmm. are closed. There's there's really nowhere for people to go, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we're getting into winter and that's going to be much you know the the, the covid it has added an extra the pandemic has added this extra difficulty for us you know on we were talking about in the, the in our council we were talking about you know how do we organize online like should we how are we reaching these people um and, and i think vanu can talk about that a bit more about that difficulty or or our strategy for doing that and um, i think reaching out to other other groups are doing this. Is a one way of doing it. reach out to trade unions. Is what we want. We, we need we need it. We, we need some organising clout. You know, we're trying ourselves, but we are unemployed. We have no resources. Mm-hmm. We're trying to get. You know, like that's one of the other things. We need some resources. We need some support, and we want that. And at the same time, how do we reach all these other people who are you know uh, aggrieved and, and and writing about it online but not doing anything about it? So uh, I'll, I'll I'm sure we'll want to talk a bit about that.
2: Oh yeah, God! You you touched on so many awesome things there, um, and uh, and now I have the burden of uh, <laughs> discussing strategy by uh, four or five months of, uh, of of being a disciplined organizer. That's enough. Uh, right? Yeah. Go. I guess so. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> Jump uh, right in. It's yeah. A lot. All right. I'll put on my Steve Jobs turtleneck and I'll talk about <laughs> the future here. i will actually wearing uh, a turtleneck right now. Really. <laughs> uh, imagine uh, uh a new i don't know i can't i don't even know that that guy is such a an alien to me um <laughs> but uh so um yeah so uh, you know i think uh some key differences that i've noticed from a little bit of the research and sean already touched on it too uh, of unemployment councils in the past and uh the the present challenge that we have now is you know yes we have covid uh, but also you know folks organizing back then uh, had kind of a um there is a a kind of baseline equality in that unemployed people had no resources uh, available to them whatsoever, except for private charity. Um, whereas now, uh, there is at least, uh, you know, a mechanism for people to receive benefits. Um, even though we have found in this crisis that, um, all of these mechanisms, um, are, are incredibly outdated. Um, they don't work very well. Uh, there's, you know, of course, means testing, which is, uh, you know, some people get iced out or left out uh, of um, the uh, insurance process. And this doesn't affect unemployment, but this affects how um, benefits are issued all across the board in the United States of America, um, right? It's that, you know, if you qualify, you can get it. If you don't qualify, well, you know, uh, better find a way to get qualified. You know what I mean? Like, uh, that's how it works here. But for the most part, you know, a lot of people were able to get something. A lot of people also waited and waited and called and called and went insane during this crisis. Um, you know, and I think a lot of the folks that I've noticed that were left out, that were struggling to receive aid from uh, the state, um, you know, uh, or their PUA, um, they they took the social media um there are different groups through social media that people can turn to um to basically you know uh you know reach out to other people to a network of people that are struggling just like them and it's cathartic um it's uh there there's you know, there's a sense of camaraderie there and common struggle there. Uh, and it's helpful because there are some people that know how to work the system better than others. And they can turn to them and ask, "Hey, how do I fill out this part of the form? And someone's got an answer for them. Right. But no one's really organizing. Right. There's no organizing mechanism. It's just people kind of helping each other. Right. We've seen the rise of mutual aid um, in this time, which has been uh, hugely successful. And I love it. I think it's awesome and it needs to continue. But without an organizing um, uh, structure, structure in place without direct action without activism um, you know uh, there's only so much you can get from mutual aid right because resources are even stretched thin there um, you know so um, right now we're, we're, we're at this tipping point where you know uh, the Trump administration um, is not like you know it, it, it is not doing anything to help um, poor working people Um you know our our, our national representatives uh, in in Congress. Uh, you know they're they're kind of working out a, a new a stimulus, a new CARES Act, um, or is it the Heroes Act? I forget which name they some you know, whatever dumb name they throw in there. But
0: first, um, yeah, first was the CARES. Second, one, the one that one that didn't go anywhere was the Heroes.
2: The Heroes, right? Exactly. And it, it's weak. It's it's, just, it's 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 a weak policy. It's weak stimulus. Um, and. You know, not enough is really being done, and it feels like um, <clears throat> people, A lot of people have hope now that Biden is uh, is is um, you know are uh, soon to be inaugurated president. Um, as as it stands right now, it seems like that uh, this is the case. Um, a lot of people have hope in this moment, and they should have hope that this is a good thing um, for a lot of people who have been very worried and afraid uh, during the the, the reign and era of Trump that things are going to get better, but we still have several more months of Trump, you know? So, uh, you know, some states are going to be lifting their moratorium soon. Um, you know, like, we're going we're gonna to soon find ourselves in a crisis where lots of people are going to be evicted from their homes and who cannot pay their bills. And, you know, uh, this is going to present a huge challenge for all communities throughout the country. And so... You know the, the the thing that I see right now is we have to really figure out several things right now. It's one is how can we have conversations with as many people as possible, um, given our limited nodes of communication. Every, most everything is done uh, online right now through social media. That's how people are finding a lot of different things. Right. Um, and uh, so how can we how can we have conversations with people? and uh it's gonna be it's gonna be very slow i think it's still gonna be pretty slow with covid but i think once people you know start you know losing you know the most basic necessities in their lives they're going to have to turn to something thankfully there seem to be a lot of organizations and coalitions and blocks right now that have seen a rapid um a rapid influx of new activists and new organizers, uh, just like the UWC. Um, And so I think for us, it's not so much like, how do we grow up uh, us only as an organization? I think it's like, how do we grow up the left in general and all the various groups that exist right now? And how can we all work together and how can we all build coalitions that are non-sectarian, right? Like how can we all agree on a core set of demands uh, and how can we really be disciplined and devote a little bit of our labor time in our lives, whether you're employed or not or unemployed, to uh the project of um you know pressuring uh the state and the federal government into uh, providing a comprehensive and universal no bullshit no means testing form of unemployment insurance whether that be uh ubi or whether that be a more revamped version of the benefits that we already get um through our labor and also um, and
3: also i mean yeah to, to, to say as well like also a
2: bunch of other stuff oh yeah so many other <laughs> right. things That's just some yeah.
3: stuff.
2: Right, right right yeah yeah totally and then there's so many more things that we have in our founding documents so many other demands that we have as well um you know and i, I, I sean can touch on that right now because i don't want to i don't want to like just kind of like uh, skim over a bunch of stuff but um but yeah i think that um we, we we have to try to make as many connections, especially with the labor movement um, um, uh, to have people hear what, where we're coming from here, where they're coming from, and then work together uh, on projects. Um, and uh, you know, we're, we're making some, some strides and it's, it's, it's all slow work, but um, I think come, you know, in the next couple of months um, it, towards the, you know uh, the summertime uh, if this crisis continues, which I really think it will. Um, I think we will see, uh, more working class militancy, uh, the uh, much h- higher influx of people joining more and more groups. Um, and, uh, and hopefully, uh, you know, we can all start working together and really rebuilding the left, which is something that we really need to do because it's so weak right now. Um, so that's where I'm, you know, on a very like uh, wishy-washy kind of wishful thinking um, on a very theoretical note, that's where I'm thinking, but specifically, I mean, there's just so much work in the day to day work that we're doing. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I think one of the things, can I quickly come into the one to? Sure. Is that right? Yeah. One of the things I think um, you're working with as many people as possible, like we, we work with people, like there was a group who were, you know, organizing around, uh, their their only organizing thing was, we want to get the emergency UI, the emergency uh, PUA payment of $600, right? Um, because, and then predominantly a lot of them were like self-employed people, right? And they were looking for another, like, you know, a guarantee of that and also $1,200, right? Uh, another $1,200 payment. And they were only organising around that. for us, that's not enough. For us, that doesn't it doesn't include um, undocumented workers. It doesn't include right. It, it excludes a bunch of people, and it actually doesn't provide um, a guarantee of, of, of much, right? Because um, after the COVID crisis goes, do you think that those jobs are coming back? I don't think they are, right? Necessarily. Um, so so, my, and also they could just declare the end of the COVID crisis right now. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not. Um, that's not actually That's not actually a good metric of whether or not people need support. So, um, But we'd still work with them. We still work with them because we agree with that, right? We agree with that as a minimal thing. Yeah, we do need that. And we will work with other employment groups uh, to, to raise those things. But we want to raise the level of politics beyond that. And I think that's the difference maybe with Unemployed Workers' Council is that, you know, we're democratic. We vote on things together. We make decisions about what we're doing. We have, like, a big idea or, like, a bunch of different ideas that, you know, things like housing part of that and, and decently like, green jobs right as part of our bigger demands but we will fight for in those smaller demands with other people as well like we would absolutely work with those other groups um, together to build as Bruce said a builder uh, capable of actually like um, you know, capable of actually frightening the ruling class right like that's that's what unemployed people can do we don't have the power to, to we don't have the power to put our shoulder to the wheel right really because we're not working but we can surely um, we can maybe inspire if we can enough of us inspire the working class to do that and make them feel that they can do that and that, that we will have the back as we're unemployed because we're workers as well right like um you know like we, we're just we just are out of work because of the system right we the the economic system that we're under has thrown us out of work right right it's not like we chose that um uh, one of the other things as well was an extension of those payments to people who leave their job, right, who voluntarily leave their job. Are not just They're not just made redundant. They're either sacked or they leave because of health and safety or they're harassed for any reason, right? People leave their job, they should be supported. It's not, you know, if the job is not good, why, why should they do that job? If it's not safe, why should they do that job? So the stuff like that is all that we, we would fight for. We are maybe other groups wouldn't, but we'd work. Uh, and I think that's, that's ongoing forward that's the way to do it and i think we have to apart from the online stuff also work it away i don't know if it's going to you know supermarkets uh, being outside supermarkets and flying and trying to talk to people that we can do as safely as we can uh that would maybe be another strategy like short-term things that we can do hopefully building to you know bigger demonstrations and probably in the new year when like I think, we do touch it, I don't think there's going to be a solution to this um, economically. If you look at the reality, the, the the stock market and the the financial institutions are calling for no stimulus packages. There's a section of the ruling class who thinks that's a bad economic idea, and are pushing back on the idea of any stimulus. Say, so let things fall apart, let things fail. Right? There's actually money to be made there. There's a, there's profit. We need to re re-energize the system. Right? That means let Letting things fall apart. Let, and what, what that means is letting people's lives fall apart. Right? Letting people die. That's literally what it means. And that's, mm-hmm. that's a section of their own class believes that. Because the economic rationale for them is profit. It's not actually human lives. So uh, we have to be ready for that as well. We have to be ready that some of those people, majority of those people, are in the Biden administration as well. So we have to be ready that they're not going to do anything in January when they come in. And also, people can't really wait that long. You mm-hmm. can't wait three months without any money.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh okay. so um I guess as a can you offer any sort of say like beginners or starters tips for folks listening to this and who you know is were would want to kind of tentatively take a first couple of steps i think we've i think we've we've addressed it just a little bit but just kind of like give um if we if um I don't know it's like giving people like a first couple of you know like first steps to take i guess
2: um Well, I mean, obviously, to do as much research as possible, get yourself informed on um, all of the various groups and uh, struggles. I mean, one thing you can do is uh, create a a separate Instagram account or Twitter account and to just find as many different um, activist groups uh, as possible and follow them and see what they're up to. Um, And then, you know, the second thing is show up to a meeting that you strongly identify with that uh, you feel like really resonates with uh, what you, what change you want to see, not in, just in your life, but in the world right now at large. Um, and then furthermore, once you take those little baby steps, those leaps, and you don't have to just jump into it full force, I think a lot of folks who are new to activism, really think that activism is what you see on TV. It's those, uh, it, it's those like Friday night fight struggles on the streets between the police and, uh, and black block. And, you know, it's, that's not it. I mean, a lot of the organizing is done behind the scenes. It's done, uh, networking, talking to people, uh, you know, trying to distribute labor to, uh, make content for social media, to make literature, to, Uh, you know, send out emails to write agendas. There's a lot of work that's done behind the scenes, so you don't actually have to be a militant like, out there, I'm about to, like, fucking break this uh, fucking window or whatever, like, you know, and I'm not not condemning any of that either, you know what I mean? I think there's a time and a place for that (laughs) shit, of of course, you know? Um, But, like, uh, there's a lot of work that can be done, that you know, safely from home, you know, uh, during COVID. Um, And so, you know, volunteering when you feel comfortable, when you feel ready, uh, and taking on projects, and not worrying that you're gonna be, you're gonna do a bad job. Because believe me, it's like, uh, there's so many things that I've done for the first time in my life that uh, I feel like I could improve on, but I don't feel bad about myself. I feel like it's necessary and urgent work, and the more you do it, the more you learn. It's like any skill, right? You're gonna have, you're, it's gonna be trial and error, and you just have to assess and reassess and get better. And so, just being easy on yourself, taking on some projects. And then I would say from there, then maybe join a second group and see if you can pull both groups together. And that's, uh, I think those are the little little baby steps I would say that you can take.
3: Yeah, I think that's all good. I would say also, I mean, if you're talking about unemployed organizing, I think if you're unemployed yourself, you know people that are, that's a start, right? If you know people that are unemployed and you're unemployed or people you used to work with in your workplace, um, talk to them about it have a discussion about how you're going to do something right and and also at that point you can also reach out to other groups as as venu said who are organizing you know if you know there's dsa groups around most most parts of the country if there's labor groups if you know people in the labor movement you know reach out to them um your local the, the thing about the united states is, of course that it's it's um and i'm sure most of your audience is in the u.s but elsewhere as well like it's it's different right depending on what state you're in um so the issues might be different as well in terms of access to unemployment services or or housing or rent moratoriums if those tenants groups get involved in your tenant group right like there's no reason that um you know if you've got a tenants association or a uh, you know a tenants union there's no reason that that is not also a good place to organize an unemployment it doesn't have to be the Unemployed Workers' Council model that we've got. If, if people are interested in that, uh, you know, like, we'll give it to them. We'll show them. We've got an open book. We'll say, this is how we did it. Here is our rules of membership. And that's also an important thing. That's way down the line, though, right? We started off with just getting together and talking about what we needed to do and, what, you know, having, trying to discuss those ideas. And some people weren't on board. Some people were like, oh, no, this 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 isn't what, you know, you have to have this and this and this and this. And we were like, well... You know that's okay. You don't. Have, you can do your own thing. Um, so, like, I think that's also, um, you know, just get together, discuss what it is. Is actually the problem. How do you organize? Can you make connections with labor? Can you make connections with your local political left-wing groups or whatever? What support can you get, and where can you get it? Um, have a demonstration. Why not? Give it a shot. See, see if you know. Uh, and if you do do that reach out to us, tell us. We will offer you support wherever we can uh, in terms of our organizational experience. Reach out to artists, you know, to do the the design work. Reach out to people you know who are at work who are um, web designers. Reach out, like that, use people's skills that are actually there and they're good at. That's the other thing that I learned very quickly. Is like, can anyone do this? I am shit at it. And people say, yes, yes, I can do that. And I'm like, thank fuck, I don't have to do that. Yeah, don't think you can take everything on yourself. It's meant to be as a council of people who have skills who are smart. Take on little pieces that you can do. Um, And finally, the thing that I always say, which is, if you say you're going to do something, do it. If you can't do it, say you're not going to do it.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. That last one. Yep.
3: Just be be honest. People, people say, you know, there's there's a tendency to be like, oh, I'm gonna, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. If you can't do it, just be like, I can't do that. That's okay. It's fine find someone else what can you do right great also ask people there's a weird tendency to yes i ask i don't know if i'll ask people to do stuff right i was can you do that and uh and, like people will usually say yes <laughs> right like people right. don't like to ask other people to do stuff as well i'm like no i'm not telling you it would be good if someone could do this would, would you like to do it and people usually say yeah like when we do we usually rotate when we have chairs a meeting right? we usually have a chair so that somebody controls the, the who gets to speak and t- you know takes takes notes and stuff and usually I like to ask if somebody else wants to do it so we rotate that around so everyone gets those skills when we're out flying or something I usually ask people would you like to come and flyer so that everyone gets those skills of talking to people one-to-one that sort of stuff is is really important but it, it's also like we don't be we also we're not afraid to say I can't do that and <laughs> I don't want to do it that's also okay
0: Excellent. Let's see. Well, um, we've been going for a while. I think. Let's see what I got. Yeah, right there. Um, is there anything else we want to cover? Should we like start moving towards um, it, uh, wrapping this thing up? Is there anything we did? Was, I, is there anything we missed? Or Garrett, did you have any questions?
1: I have. Well, one one small question occurred to me. One that I I found particularly sort of interesting based on all the. I mean, y'all said a bunch of great stuff, but you y- y'all started talking about. You know, non-political people getting involved with the group and finding like a bit more um, uh, of a political footing afterwards. Um, What I'm curious to know is if you recall uh, any particular uh, elements of conversations had with those people that start to turn the tide, because that's that's something I'm very interested in, Uh, and and I think will be a pretty big component to how fast the a working class movement can be built is getting these people that are politically uncomfortable with the sorts of ideas that, uh, you know, that have been mal- maligned by sort of square society uh, on the left, um, how you get them more comfortable with those ideas.
3: I mean, that's really good. But it, it, people come at things not fully formed. So people come to it, things because, you know, they, they, as you said, they move, into, they move into doing things because of the circumstances of their life, right? So they're made right. unemployed. They see the unemployment council, right? They're like, "Shit, I'm unemployed. I'm not getting any money." Or, you know, um, am it, it can also come. who have that it came from like the Black Lives Matter uh, uprisings as well, right? So we had people who, had inspired by that, maybe going to their first statements. Uh, I really wish Trinity was here because she could uh, also like talk about her particular political uh, trajectory. Is really interesting, um, and other people in Alex and people in our group who um, who whose political trajectory was, was, like, you know, like, coming to having an idea that things are not okay, right? So they already have that idea, and, you know, they've seen things happen, and they maybe take part in, like, the demonstrations, then they see the Unemployed Workers' Council, and they get involved through that. Or they start, they're like, oh, maybe I should join DSA, and they see it through DSA or other left groups, right? And they come, but they don't have, like, how to organise ideas or, like, dead-set politics about, you know, like, I am a Marxist-Leninist, or I am a... Th-. Like, no, most people don't come like that, right? They come with a mix of ideals from the ideology of the ruling class, right, that they've been grown up in, and they come through these ideals, and they start to work them out, and generally what happens is they work them out in action, so we do something. They have a conversation with someone else. We have a conversation together about what happened and why that worked and why that didn't work, and that's how people's ideals change, right? So you're like, All right, okay, so why do we do things democratically? Why do we take votes? Um why do we do stack, right? So we usually have these conversations we've had these debates. We've had debates about uh you know, voting, right? We've had debates about voting in elections, we've had debates about and but while we're having these discussions, we're also doing stuff together. So it's the do the the, the practical like doing a thing and then reflecting on that thing and talking about it. That's what changes people's ideas
1: in practice. Yeah. I think it's just like a workplace, right? Like like you get to know each other doing the work, and that forms stronger bonds uh, than maybe otherwise would would occur.
3: Yeah, and then you you also but you're doing but then this situation you're doing the work which is opposed to capitalism essentially, right? In some <laughs> minor little way, it doesn't have to be in a big C. We don't always talk about like in a end, like you don't have to be to join the UWC. You don't have to be a socialist, right? There's no requirement, right, other than being unemployed and agreeing to, to fight about it, right? And I think that's really important as well. Most of us are. Of the left, right? Because we're fighting a system which forces you to do that through practice. It's like you can't fight like this if you don't start to think about the world in a different way. Right? Like uh, some people think the tail wags the dog. You just have a really good idea, and that is the thing that motivates you. Like our socialism is just a really good idea, and the more really good ideas we give people, we're just going to have socialism, right? Like that's right. not really how it works. It's like through practice of con. Fronting the reality, and working together to try and overcome it, and, and that's really what begins to shift people's ideals, um, and, and you know, I, I, I mean, Vinou might want to talk about his journey to po- politics, and maybe that'll illuminate that idea, because I've, <laughs> I've been a lefty for, since I was 15, so it's kind of dredging up older memories, and I'm a bit older than all of you, so...
2: <laughs> well, I mean, I... I uh... When I was 19, I um, I started canvassing because I was unemployed again, and I was like, all right, I'll just, you know, uh, and I, you know, obviously, I hadn't, I'd only had like four years, four to five years in the workforce anyway, and I was kind of already sick of it, and uh, I was like, well, this looks cool, so I joined um, Washpurg in Seattle, Washington, and I was canvassing for the Human Rights Campaign, um, for, you know, the Equal Marriage Act, and. Uh, for the Sierra Club on the road, Lesac, these, all these Bush era um, issues that were, you know, very popular on the left back then. And uh, I was really like into it. That was kind of my introduction into politics and political organizing. But then I uh, became very disenchanted by the whole organizational structure of those uh, companies. Uh, I almost said companies, but they're run, they're run like companies. Um, and that's when I kind of started realizing that a lot of these groups aren't in in it for social change they're not in it for um widespread change um uh, they're they're in it mostly to uh you know uh, kind of keep the machine well oil- oiled you know uh um and also to uh you know have nice cushy jobs uh in uh, you know s- nice office spaces uh you know um because a lot of these people uh, are you know um master's degree earned or phd degree earned you know specialists in uh you know different um different things right uh and you know they have a lot of policy ideas and think tank ideas and ideas for um you know lobbying in dc right um and this, doesn't, this, this isn't, in my experience, an effective way to create uh, radical and transformative change uh, because it goes at the snail's pace of government and governance, right? Um, and there are greater forces with deeper pockets that can always just kill whatever the Sierra Club proposes or throws at the table. And so I, I kind of got very disillusioned with um, canvassing and that whole world uh, oh, and let me tell you, I joined, uh, after I quit the, the Sierra Club, I went and joined the AFL-CIO working families canvassing pro- uh, project. Oh my god, that is a shit, that was a shit show back then. It was so, so bad. Uh, we actually tried to form a union in, the, <laughs> we tried to form a union in that in the working, and the, the manager right. completely yes. fucking, <laughs> like, fired, like, half the staff that wanted to form a union oh. within a union. Yeah. Um, yep and so i okay. was just like fuck this like there's no point in politics so i had a bad taste in my mouth and for many many years i was just like you know what fuck it liberalism partying and <laughs> hedonism liberalism you know i was just into that mode for a very long time uh and then uh you know i just started listening to some dumb popular podcasts on the left and from there i started reading books and uh, and from there, I started, you know, orienting myself more into this kind of uh, working class spirit, class struggle. Um, so I don't remember what the original question was, but I love talking about myself and my personal <laughs> story. So I mean, thank you for that opportunity.
0: That is the spirit of podcasting. Yes.
2: <laughs> I thought the I thought it was a great question. It's a really important that I think
3: people don't actually think about right, like the idea of. How do people actually change their mind? <laughs> like, how do you get people to do stuff? Like, that's this. It's it's like you know, it's a it's a question that a lot of people on the left don't ask themselves enough. Like, what am I doing? And will this actually be effective to reach people? Am I actively convincing anyone of it? Like, yeah, you know, like there's, there's there's a tendency to just be like, oh, well, I've done the act, so therefore, uh, you know here am I juggling therefore everyone loves my juggling right? <laughs> <laughs> like
2: what like that doesn't
3: that, you know um and I, I think that's not just in the US that's that's a general broad problem um I, I don't know maybe other people know where,
2: why I, that happens but I, I haven't. I sorry go ahead Sorry, I, want to hear oh, but, about that. I just have one more anecdote too it's like um I, I was listening to like a lot of like uh Pod save america for a while and like uh, uh <laughs> ezra klein and vox media stuff and like the weeds and i was in a lot of that stuff uh when i was working at townsend's and just fucking miserable and i thought for a while it's just like yeah we need to evict trump yeah we need to do like all these things um you know i really believe that was the path forward and then i just started realizing more and more that like like none of this shit does anything Um, I have no control over any of these forces. It's like these, Mm -hmm. all these decisions are made by other people in power. Uh, but I'm told to care about it. I'm told that this is important. I'm told that that, like I should even go out in the streets and March for it when I don't have any say in it whatsoever. Um, and then, uh, you know, I just started hanging out with some friends that I hadn't seen in a while. They were like, listen to this podcast, listen to that. So sometimes it really does come through culture in a weird way. Like, uh, Like a lot of the shit on the left, like this podcast. uh, Not saying this is shit, baby. This is some. This is some juicy (laughs) stuff, baby. Okay, this is some. This is some marvelous. uh, The crème fraîche of cream here. We got Um,
0: no comment. uh,
2: That's uh, great. But like sometimes it is through culture, which is so funny because I just I I, I look at culture all around me and it's like it's hard to really. Uh, pick out things that uh, I feel like really speak uh, to working class, um, you know, uh, struggles and issues uh, through the culture that we have now, um, you know. Uh, and I'm uh, mostly speaking for popular culture, but even for indie culture, you know what I mean. Um, but uh, yeah, that's kind of my that was my slow integration into into this lifestyle uh, was just it was it, it moves at a snail like. Some some people it moves like instantly, and some people it takes a little longer. So I think it's just like everyone gets there, but you know, I think people are going to start getting there more once they realize how alienated they are, how powerless they are, and how they have like they're not getting any of their material, um, any any material support from anyone. Um, well,
3: so, well, yeah, weirdly, um, you that, like, Defeats are lessons too, right? And, and like that's mm-hmm. an interesting thing, right? Like your your defeat of like working for all these bloody like uh, non profit you know um, uh, allegedly progressive um, think tanks and pressure pressure groups and lobbying interest right? Re- made you realise that that was an absolute like horse shit way to do politics? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah,
1: right.
3: You know, yeah. like like that, like that that is a that is a lesson in practice, right? That's not just about yeah. ideas. You were looking for those ideas, right? Mm-hmm. Right. They explain it. They're like what is this how it explains how shit and why this doesn't work right and i think like yeah that's also like i know a lot of people have come through the negative if you will like this is so shit that we have been doing this um you know like i need to do it a different way
0: yeah
1: yeah i remember how depressing it felt that there was a period of time where it seemed like everyone uh thought that the way to change the world was to buy different products that they were buying at the store and I was like boy we got a long way to go friend
2: yeah there's like a, there was like a boycott app right for a while that was like made it's just like it like favorite, all, these are all the things favorite, you boycott now
3: my favorite thing was the shoes that were like not like
2: <laughs> you remember that Adel- the ad Adel- shoes <laughs> yeah
0: oh yeah god I remember that
2: you know this, this is gonna change the I, world yeah when I was like
3: 17 or something and a uh, I remember like seeing that, and for a brief moment, like you know, you would I would occasionally get adbusters, you know, for a brief moment. I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna get them and show everybody that I don't care about what shoes I've got." I was just like, I I think even at seventeen, I was just like, "No, that's
2: that's easily one of the stupidest things I've ever thought in my life." I'm gonna go buy Yeah, (laughs) I mean. There are more and more companies doing that now. You know what I mean? Like, the Adbusters model of, like, this shoe is as, as, as expensive and as bad of quality as a Nike shoe, but at least it was made at a, a, a workers' cooperative in Portugal. So, you know, th- th- yeah. we've got that going for us, right? Um, but now you see that everywhere, and, like, there's just companies everywhere now. It's just like this. we're, we're trying to transition into sustainable this or sustainable that, you know, and our employees are well, – I- our entry-level employees are making $15 an hour. Aren't we a good company? <laughs> <laughs> Ethical capitalism. Right. What happened to those cooperatives in Portugal
3: that made the Adbuster shoes? What was that? That's my question. I wonder what happened to those cooperatives in Portugal that made the Adbuster shoes. I knew, some, I knew uh, some Portuguese shoemakers back in the day. Some pretty good shoes. I had a good pair of green... True story. Good pair of green brogues made for me by a, a Portuguese cobbler. Oh, wow. pretty, like It's pretty good when I was a kid. Oh, wow. Pretty good. Maybe yeah. he was one of the Adbusters um, guys. I don't
2: know. Maybe he was one of the co-op. I, was, uh, I didn't know there was such a bus- bustling shoe market in uh, in Portugal. I gotta Next time I'm over there, I'm going to go. 90s. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah.
1: I didn't recall the Adbusters shoe. I'm looking at it now. I thought you were talking about that company where that you buy a pair of shoes, and then they, like... they. They the for the cost they'll give some poor person somewhere a, a, a similar <laughs> pair of shoes. Oh yeah, no that guy.
2: I know what you're talking about. <laughs> Which yeah. turns my stomach That's, for some yeah. reason. Just, yeah, I, I actually applied when I was unemployed uh, during COVID. I actually applied to work because there was a, a job on like LinkedIn or something. And I was like, oh, I could see myself working at one of his stores. And oh yeah, you know, I, you know. And I, I kind of approached the job application being like, hey, I'm a just I'm a new member of DSA. So. <laughs> Like, I, I really agree with this, you know, even though I didn't really you didn't give get the, the job. job. No, of course I didn't get the job. Yeah, I know. I <laughs> didn't even get a call or anything. But I researched it, and I was just like, oh, I hate this slime ball. I, this guy sounds like such a piece of shit. It's, uh, the CEO of the company, I forget his name. But
3: Well, I, the adbuster show, though, was a real thing, though, which is uh, insane. Uh, I, I I actually can't. Um, oh, enemy says he's lost sound.
0: Uh, No, that's uh, Garrett lost out. So, yeah, Garrett, Garrett, do what you got to do. But I did find out that the uh, the shoes, the uh, the black spot, black spot classic sneakers, and the unswoosher boots made in a. uh, There's a little article here that. um, You still buy them? Probably, you know. Shoes are made in uh, In Felguiras, Portugal A region steeped in 400 years of shoemaking tradition The factory has been owned and operated By the same family for three generations Known for being The workers have up-to-date machinery at their disposal The hours are appropriate and their wages are generous So it's like it's, uh, not even, They're not even cooperatively made Or at least they weren't when this article was written in uh, 2011
3: Union made, they union made, right $135 <laughs> $135 You can still buy them
2: yeah. I think it was that expensive back then too. Wow. Ah. Hmm.
3: Yeah. And they, they look like
2: they're a classic, like they
3: look like they've been you know, like they're like hundred thirty five dollars, but they're deliberately made to look like uh they've just been like completely fucking like smashed together with some super
1: glue. Yeah, like, just really scuffed like up that. I had a bit oh, of a Oh God
3: uh,
1: i had a bit of a catastrophe here, so I, I didn't hear any of that preceding
0: conversation. Oh, we just we were mocking the um, mocking the um, the ad, more of the adbuster shoe, but anyway.
1: <laughs> well, it's so Do cool you, if you've got you know manifesto. What your
3: problem is? <laughs> you've got a manifesto. Oh, the shoe has a manifesto. That? Oh shit! Yeah, would you like would you like me to read it? Yeah, that yeah, please. Uh, we clean up the toxic areas of our me- mental environment. Um, cool. Uh, make the price of every product tell the ecological truth. Reverse the upward flow of wealth. Punish every corporation that betrays public trust. Make secret make secrecy taboo. Bend the straight line in a wobbly new direction. Discover new ways to live, love, and think.
2: Oh God, I hate this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the interesting thing about that is that um, they so- they ended up selling it to a Silicon Valley startup.
2: Oh, of course they did. <laughs>
1: I'm kidding, of course.
2: Oh, okay, that was a good. That was a good punchline, for sure. Are you right? 100 percent you sure you're kidding?
1: Oh wow,
3: there's,
2: uh, there's still yeah. that's a that's a, bullsh-
1: just- that's a bullshit job someone could start doing. Just be mission statement writer or
3: something. Oh yeah, manifesto.
2: Oh yeah, company manifesto writers. Yeah,
1: yeah.
3: yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. This whole website adbusters is is so awful that yeah. it, it really is. It's really upsetting. I, I used to
0: love that. Yeah. yeah. It is. <laughs> <laughs> There's still, yeah, they would send, uh, they would st- send issues to uh, the radio, sta- my college radio station. And I think for a while we had one of those, uh, cop- you know, God, this is like, Jesus Christ, this is like 99, 2000, those bad memories. Um, we, to, we had one of those stupid uh, copyright, uh, not copyright, but corporate logo, um, American flags, like on the wall of one of our main production rooms. At the station. Anyway, but yeah, and they are, and they still are. Yeah, and Buster's is still putting out magazines. The latest one, oh, yeah. uh, Siege on the White House, with a little mashup of, uh, of a bunch of, uh, there's a Naked Athena on there, and there's a bunch of like some riot footage and a picture of the White House with tear gas in front of it. So there we go. And
2: it's, and it's
0: $80. It's
3: maybe all like, who's paying for it? That's, That's what crazy. I'm just wondering. Yeah, like, is this like just a bunch of people who subscribed in like 1998 and like have forgotten to unsubscribe?
1: That's gotta, <laughs> probably. It's got to be that or it's like, uh, I don't know, the Atlantic Council or someone pays for it.
3: There's a, yeah, yeah, probably. Some weird There's a up. Up. There's also a culture shop, which I really really like, which uh, has got like a lot of good, it's got self isolation package. Um, self isolation.
0: Jeez. Oh wow! And they Which? really that corporate. They still they still have that corporate American flag. It's a, a three a three by five version of it is sold out, but runs for seventy five uh, dollars. Seventy five dollars. Well, that's the other thing. I, This might no. be Canadian. I, I think these might be Canadian. Uh, Canadian in Canadian. Oh, costs. I think
2: Adbusters is a Canadian.
0: Company. Yeah, they're out. They're out. They're out of they're out of, uh, they're out of Vancouver. Price? They got a six hundred four uh, six hundred four. Prices the
3: same. Um, oh, Prices the, price the same. Canada or U.S. Prices the same. Um, Weirdly enough, though, I would be like, right, let's get one, let's get one. I don't have any money, though, so
2: that would... (laughs) You gotta go to a Barnes & Noble's, not pay for the cookie you eat, and then you gotta read it in there, yeah.
0: (laughs) No, there you go. God, it's it's like being back on campus again, way back uh, years ago when you could do these things and they actually had uh, (laughs) a... <laughs> and they still actually had like the the book sh- book was book, those huge books. Well, actually, you no, know, Barnes and <laughs> almost still does exist, so there's that. But all right, um, I
3: want to read an I want to read an adbusters now, not just just to absolutely. Yeah, I'm sure it's awful.
2: Should we have an adbusters reading group or something?
0: <laughs> God, it's. A, I, I gotta know, be
1: honest. A- it does sound like a bit of fun. <laughs>
0: I don't know, it's one of, yeah, it's, it, I don't know, it's one of those things of, um, it's like barely have enough time for the you know, for the regular reading groups, much less any sort of ironic ones, so yeah. But... Yeah, right. <laughs> anyway, um, all right, we are, uh, we are, uh, I think, uh, we've been going for quite a while, so, um... Unless there's anything left to really cover, uh, I want to do. Let's switch to doing uh, recommendations and endorsements. What have you been digging on that uh, you want others to find out about? Uh, who would like to go first?
3: There's a little magazine I don't know if people have heard about called Ad Bustles. Uh,
0: <laughs> really, tell me more.
3: Really really funny spoof ads
0: <laughs> Jesus Christ there's an entire section of the web of the web, of their webpage that is just spoof ads and it's some of the yeah, most 1998 shit and it's almost like it's
3: 1998 the wolf stuff I've ever
0: seen this is like 1998 oh, yeah. 1990 this is yeah this is a weird uh like post uh post-Winston kind of like next generation of Winston Smith from um yeah.
2: it's like, it's Ronald McDonald injecting uh uh, <laughs> himself, uh, heroin into his eyeball. Still provocative. It's not, <laughs> that's it's edgy. Not even
3: as good as that. It's just <laughs> Ronald McDonald. It's just not even as good as that. I can describe it as it's Ronald McDonald, but someone who's not done a good Ronald McDonald wig <laughs> on impression, right? And instead of the the clown mouth, they've got like a uh, a gag in their mouth, and it just says grease.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Photo from 1993. Yep oh Wonderful. God. if you click I yeah if it. you click on the page you can actually uh each little section lets you uh see a a collection of um a collection of um i mean it' really so- proto memes, i guess
1: it really showcases the way in which like under neoliberalism you were just supposed to be a a consumer of your favorite type of uh you know uh left of center advocacy whatever that was you know what i mean yeah. like yeah
3: like passive, passive, non no, organ yeah, right. Yeah. It's like, I mean, there's like, some. There was some good artists who did work for them as well. Like, there's Barbara Kruger's on here and stuff. Like, it's not. Um, but it's just, yeah, just all. Awesome.
2: Well, it's funny because it's like I've never seen in the in the social media era and in the Instagram era, I've never seen Adbusters trend like once. <laughs> and it's like they devote all their times to making provocative images, and they can't even get anything.
0: It's <laughs> a good point. <laughs> Right. Well, the um, yeah, that's like, <laughs> It's a um, I don't know. It's like this weird, like kind of like post-situationist, um, limited thing. But I don't know. Whatever. Okay. So there's adbusters. Okay. Like, like
1: critique <laughs> without any theory, really, except
0: that we we just kind
1: of know. We definitely know capitalism is bad. We don't know what to do about it. You know what I mean? Like.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm just looking at the Joe Kimo campaign. <laughs> it's just the worst thing I've ever seen. I can't believe this. Like, it's just. <laughs> I recommend anyone look at that and just go. This is how you don't do proper. Like, it's tasteless and awful. Like, it, it goes. It reminds me of Mad no,
1: Magazine. Yeah. You know what I mean? Except maybe a little bit in poor taste. You know, like. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Oh, recommendations. Sorry. Sure. Uh, actual recommendations. <laughs> um, what I what I I brought a book of poems. That I'm going to just big myself up. Why not? Um, check out my SoundCloud Um, like I just brought a book of poetry and a few of them were published in a a few excerpts in a magazine called Subjective Magazine Um, uh, yeah a book of poems called uh, The Rate of Falling which are all poems I've written since the start of lockdown and I also just uh, I'm about to publish a kids book so there's that as well which seems like like, you know, that's what I've been doing with my own point. <laughs> so there's that. A kid's book about my cat going to space. And my friend, who's an amazing illustrator, did these really cool illustrations for it. And um, Really, it's just uh, for people who want to read that, who have kids. There's not. I'm not going to make any money out of it. So um, if people want a copy and they've got no money, I'll give them a copy for free. Uh, yeah, That's so that's my recommendation. Actual recommendation is... Um, what did I see recently that's really good? I've been re watching a lot of Agnes Varda films. Uh, I do recommend that. Get, get on Canopy. Uh, Agnes Varda was a French uh, documentary filmmaker and um, fiction filmmaker. Um, wonderful, humane, um, innovative, funny uh, filmmaker, really concerned with the plight of working class people. Uh, in France. Yeah, go on Canopy, a lot of her, um, which you can get on with a library card. I don't, a lot of people don't know that. Get on Canopy, you can just sign up to your library card, and you get like five free movies a month. So, um, And I would say watch a lot of Agnes Barda.
0: Excellent. Uh, who wants to go next?
1: I'll uh, go if you want, if you want to uh, gather your thoughts.
2: Yeah, I don't really have much to plug. Uh, I, I, I mean... Um, yeah, uh, I guess for anyone who's not really like um, uh, who does, I don't know, the Economic Update by Richard Wolf, I think, is a really good podcast to listen to, to kind of understand um, uh, Marxism uh, and um, also just to understand uh, what's going on right now uh, in, in this current moment. He's a very good speaker, uh, professor, I think, at the New School uh, in New York, and uh, I like what he, a lot of what he has to say. Um, and uh, I actually I've got a SoundCloud uh, rap album. Yeah, uh, yeah. My my name is Ad Busta Rhymes. And, uh,
0: oh God! Uh, oh. Give me
2: some ads. <laughs> Split for the weed act. Give me some ads. Um. Anyway, sorry. I just had to do. that
1: <laughs> I love it. Garrett? I'll make you some beats and we can do that, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh. I guess I would like all second uh, economic update. I, I actually think that Richard Wolff is a, a uh, someone that can make a a Marxist uh, a Marxist perspective palatable to a person that thinks they wouldn't like a Marxist perspective. So I'll plus one on that. That's nicely, yeah. And uh, I I think and you don't even have to be a Marxist to appreciate what he's saying, but uh, it really helps if you are, of course. Um, and I don't really have like uh, the last book I read was. Um, the republic by plato which i'd never read before and i'll give it a qualified recommend that if you're remotely interested in it uh go ahead and read it because you can engage with it in a way that will be relevant to your life now even though it's a very old book and uh i guess i'm just about finished with uh, ac grayling's new book called the good state uh i decided to read on the heels of reading the republic and uh um i can give that a qualified recommend just for like i don't know just people feeling like you want to get a better handle on how democracy ought to work and that sort of stuff. It, it's a pretty good general text for that sort of thing.
0: Excellent. And I will recommend um, the new Neil Ciceriega album, Mouth Dreams, which goes some places. And I'll play a little sample of it right now. It's like- And at least one of the tracks I knew that I could. I was wrecking. I there was a uh, one of the tracks was rapping in a foreign language, and I just realized that I could identify it as Huttese which is the Jabba the Hut language uh, from uh, Return of the Jedi. <laughs> Amazing. So, um, I think also the one that Greedo says in Star Wars, and it shows up here and there. But yeah, that's a. Um, can
3: you can you send me the link to that
0: one here? There we go. There's the uh, there's the link. If you go to uh, Neil N E I L C I C dot com slash mouth dreams, you can find it for yourself. Like the entire. I mean, it's one of those things where he'll never he can never get the stuff cleared, so they just put it out for free. But it is. Uh, so I think of like all of his. I think it's now four. Four like mashup albums This one is probably The most musical In terms of like Actual like Song construction Out of uh, Out of everything else Whereas like, a lot of Other things are really funny I think this one Actually has like, some Like the best Like just Like um, Song composition which is funny because, like, at one point the opening track, he, he built it out of the Yahoo uh, sample from uh, from you know the uh, the Yodel commercial, and just kind of like la- you know sampled it, layered it, and chopped it up. So. <laughs> And then uh, using, but also like multi, you know, uh sampling it with multi tracks and then pitching it either up or down. So it starts hard, um You can start getting like, you know, it'll harm harmonize with itself and go from there. So it's uh, it's pretty good. Um, Work if, if you have anything to plug, or like, how can folks get a hold of you, or where should they go if they want to find out more about what you're working on or about the council itself?
3: So we've got yeah, we've got um, Instagram. Um, Vanu, let me. Can you can you make <laughs> yeah. sure I get this right? Yeah yeah yeah. Uh, you, is it UW, UWC PDX Instagram? Uh yeah, right. It's um, pretty much it's pretty um, much
2: like that for all the social. We'll,
3: yeah, for for uh, Twitter is UWC at UWC. And uwcpdx2020 at gmail.com if you're interested in what we're doing and what we're up to.
2: Also, uh, uwcpdx proton mail as well.
3: Also, uwcpdx proton mail. Um, either of those uh, email addresses will um, get, get in touch with us. Um, yeah, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We've also got Facebook. Same UWCPDX. Um, we have meetings every second Tuesday. Next one's—I um, don't know when this is coming out, so it's probably going to be too late. But the next one's on Tuesday, and then the next, the one the following one after that would be so it'll be Tuesday the tenth, and then uh, the following one after that would be two weeks after that. So every two weeks, and then we're probably going to have some sort of educational, like debate and discussion, in uh, in the end, um, maybe December. And we'll probably um, we'll be looking to build probably some sort of of like demonstration and mass action later on in the the new year. So yeah, get involved in that. Um, As I said, I've got poems and stuff which I've sent you, so you can have a look. Um, And uh, yeah, like yeah, that's it. That's all my plugs.
0: Awesome. Uh, Vanu Garrett, you have anything?
1: I do not. I mean, uh, I don't. I don't even have a Facebook anymore. So. You can Come find me on LinkedIn or Goodreads, uh,
2: but otherwise, yeah, I don't have anything really to Yeah, don't don't follow me on Facebook, please don't. That's my yeah. Part. You
3: can't follow me on Instagram because <laughs> it's private. So you can follow my band. My band's called The Worst Friend. So you can follow. You can find my band, The Worst Friend Band, uh, uh, Instagram. I also do a really secretive, sneaky thing, which is called Scotland in Space. And if you can find that, that's that's fine. It's it's very niche. It's a very niche Instagram account. Tell you what, retro. It's oh, very antroso- ad <laughs> antroso- If you're into that,
2: uh, and tell you what, since my I have like really no self-esteem anymore. Uh, but uh, you can get on YouTube, find my old stand-up comedy videos. Uh, my name is Venu Matra. Um, you know, uh, tell me if I should do it again. Uh, but also, it's cool if you're like, nah, you were not very good, so it's probably good I like to stay. It. I thought it was funny. I, genuinely <laughs> I- thought it was funny.
1: I haven't seen it but you're a, you're a funny person so <laughs> it probably means you should you should do things being funny.
2: No, uh, well, you know, I'm comfortable around you guys. The thing about me is that I'm not good with hierarchy. So when I'm around, when I'm around uh comedians that have uh, a certain status, uh, I I tend to freeze and uh. uh get very scared and my my knees buckle and uh it's uh one of the things that uh i i would have a hard time trying to get over if i went back to the comedy world i think
1: yeah i bet i hung out with todd glass one time and i got so drunk and stoned that <laughs> I, I was i was so embarrassed to see any of those people ever again
3: uh, todd glass that is cool
2: that's true So i line of stand up i don't know what that is. That todd that, glass is um, great look look up um, look, look look up todd great. glass it's a great comic comic
0: awesome Hello. And uh, once again, we, uh, if folks have enjoyed what they've been hearing, you can help support the show. We do have a Patreon that is... Uh, I'm not the best at keeping up, but at least I do put uh, early access to all the episodes on and an occasional, and the occasional cat photo. It's at patreon.com slash givingthemike. Uh, you can reach us for... Um questions, comments, uh recommendations for good Korean places in Portland to eat hmm. is at um giving Mike at gmail dot com. Previous guest Albert Lee mentioned I don't remember if this was no, yeah, we mentioned this he mentioned this on the air what that a um Banchan, the kind of, um, Korean, fr- uh, fried chicken fast food franchise, was finally opening up a, uh, a shop in, I think they had always scheduled to have it open up in August, and it turns out they actually did. So you can go check out Banchan, like, insanely good Korean fried chicken, uh, but you have to, you have to drive way down to Clackamas for it. So but and it's might be available and it's like there right now it's, it's like there's like one or two of these in like various states so one might might be by you and i recommend banchan or just in your yeah, the, yeah here's your, yeah, here's the call to action. Go out and find your the closest <laughs> source of whoops someone's someone's flaming out. Go find the closest source of Korean fried chicken you can and check it out. It's good. Either the soy garlic or the uh, the, the traditional I spicy. Had, I know,
2: this is re- <laughs> yeah, I know, I'm so hungry right now. Oh my god.
0: And um
3: I really ordered. want you know what I do recommend I do recommend food wise I don't know if it's no if it's the of COVID, but Hong Kong Cafe was a really good dim sum place out on eighty seconds.
0: Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, Garrett! You got we got. ro Garrett, you are you are robot voicing again. All right, bye, Garrett. Now oh, there we go. The fun of podcasting. Anyway, uh, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Um, yeah, go out in a lot of it's it's really rough out there. A lot of unemployed people. It's kind of like if you can join up, form up, and uh, try and start some shit. And, all right, does anybody have any final words? Thanks for having us.
2: Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate the time being here. Yep.
0: all right. Thanks, everybody, and good night.